You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Aaron, hello. Oh, hi. Aaron, I'm glad you ate lunch before we started recording this podcast. Yeah, I know. And then I'm eating it again right now. During our scheduled time, were you finishing up a workout? Uh, If by workout, you mean realizing that the mountains are very, very icy here and just like slowly falling down them and then just like hammering as fast as I could get back, then yes. Okay. That sounds like a workout to me. Yeah. Yeah, because I was freezing. It was like negative five and I was ready for like 20. <laughs> so you're you're upstate, would you say? Yeah, pretty close to Canada at this point. How, how far from Canada? Because we like to complain about our weather situation. 45 here, but, minutes. Oh, that's closer I'm to the north than you, I think. Are you closer to Atkins or Kempson? Mm, about this well Kempson is in Cape Cod so yeah, Atkins I guess okay Atkins are only like two hours apart now Kempson has like that like cabin in the woods he goes to which is probably closer but yeah he's living at sea level no his family sold that yeah oh that's a bummer yeah but he just bought a property in New Hampshire so Aaron you've trained in a lot of places you've lived in a lot of places you're in a new abode it sounds like currently uh, would you say like upstate Eastern U.S. is one of the best places to train, or would you take the altitude in the mountains? Uh, if I could like mix them together, that'd be the perfect place. But seemingly that doesn't happen. Um, as far as technical running goes, and like being on really nice soft trails, the East Coast is the best place. Um, but yeah, like West Coast, you get altitude and like really hard trails, and they're not that much fun to train on. Like really like hard surface, mm-hmm. not like technically hard. Um, so I really like the like soft, super technical stuff where I have to run like 15 minute miles and that's like fast. I'm in agreement with you. I found Colorado, California to be harsh. Dude, it's like running on a cement sidewalk. It's brutal. It's beautiful to look at, but you end up doing the same thing for like 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. And I found that I had, I was forced to start wearing hokas out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was too much (laughs) pounding. Whereas, you know, East coast, Midwest, you can you can train in anything because it's so soft that yeah pretty much what shoe did you run in today to prevent you from falling on your ass Ooh, the zeros yeah yeah i mean like i definitely should have had like crampons or something at some places but uh i survived so that's good i make sweet sweet love to the zero i think it's their best shoe the way it feels on my foot it's, yeah i mean they're kind of taking the last of that shoe and maybe turning it into the max at some point is that exactly what we messaged, Matt? <laughs> Kirk, this is your best last. Uh-huh. Use this on everything. It is. <laughs> I hope they do. I, I don't know if everyone knows this about you, Aaron, because you have that, uh, I don't know, like that. Je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi that allows people to think that you have no thoughts that run through your mind at all times. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really good at making people think. But I think you might be the greatest gear mind in the sport. <laughs> Your level of knowledge on shoes and what goes into each separate component, I'm embarrassed to say I think surpasses mine. God damn it. I thought I was the ultimate shoe mind. Like I always thought if if a brand ever needed to build a shoe, they should come to me. And you and I started <laughs> talking one day and I realized I might be in the deep end of the pool now. Yeah. I mean, I've been obsessed with shoes for like meh, 
15 years and then I worked at a bunch of running stores since I was like 16 so it's over a decade now uh like worked at the best running store in the country kind of ran for Solomon uh kind of played with their prototypes and then now I and then I like broke my ankles a bunch so I had to like find every single shoe that could like possibly that I could run in on a broken ankle so that's one thing injury will do for you is is shoe exploration won't it Oh yeah, I forgot that you broke your, you messed your foot up and then you kept trying new shoes all the time. <laughs> Dude, my closet is full of shoes that have had one or two runs in them because they didn't work. It's terrible. Okay, so this isn't where the episode's going, but oh, sorry. maybe this is where the episode's going. <laughs> we all, in some form or facet, represent VJ. However, if you had to create your Frankenstein shoe brand, what would you pull from? Ooh. T- take your best, and we're talking trail right now. Take your take your amalgamum of all the best features of brands and, and create the Frankenstein shoe for me. So I was actually talking about this this morning. I'm totally going off on a slight tangent, but- uh, Let's do it. But uh, basically it's hard to know how good a shoe like once was. Like I was talking this morning about the current Brooks launch. I'm like, it's so crummy compared to the original Brooks launch. And I was like, well, it's kind of hard to tell because like now shoes have like are like so much better as a whole, like a collection of things than mm-hmm. they used to be. So it's hard to tell whether or not like like it just felt good because it was the only thing that was like not shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. But uh, I would take ZoomX foam for trail. Yeah, for trail. Well, it depends on what kind of trail we're doing. If we're doing like obstacle course racing, then I wouldn't touch it. But right. But on like California, Colorado trails, ZoomX could oh, yeah. be nasty with a composite plate, maybe. But but I would do like a border around the outside of like a a denser foam that like isn't quite as bouncy, so that like when you sink into the shoe, it's still like really stable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I don't know. I mean, the VJ rubber with the super secret outsole for the spark that nobody knows about um and then (laughs) and then uh the upper of uh i don't know a6 hyperspeed three wow that's going back there that's a that's a trail racing shoe not an obstacle course racing shoe though that'd be the dream that'd be it'd be like seven ounces i agree I, I used to do all my training in Colorado until I went to Hoka's in the uh, Lunar Racer 3s. And I always thought if you took that shoe. That shoe freaking amazing. And put a little bit of, just a tiny bit of stability and like the yeah. the Waffle XC lugs on the bottom, you'd have your best trail racer. If you could change the upper a little bit. Yeah. Once they went to Flywire, I loved it. Oh, really? Yeah. But like- for off off trail, I think I would take VJ and have them make the Hoka Evo Jaws. Oh, the alcohol? Yeah, if you, if you just had them put their Kevlar into the upper and their yeah. butyl on the lugs, I think that would be the ultimate off-road racing shoe. So I actually had a pair of Hoka prototypes that Wamsley gave me that were like, they, they had like these synthetic overlays on the jaws. Really? All over the shoe. And I raced a couple times in them. Yeah, you did. Did they even have a like a logo on them? I remember they looked like black market. Uh, I don't know if they had a logo on them, but they were definitely Jaws. Did mm-hmm. you? Was the bottom still? Yeah, the bottom fly was paper, bottom, which was annoying because yeah, like they just ripped off. Like go for a run, come back, and like you could like slide two fingers between like where the lugs, like yeah. where the rubber is and the foam. That makes sense. 
I think though you could also take the zero <laughs> and give that any sort of semi super foam and you'd have your off-road racer. Yeah. Even like hyperburst. Oh, you mean change the foam? Yeah, just change the foam and that's it. You like the Skechers foam? Oh, I love it. I just ran them today. How'd you like them? First time, I was a big fan, actually. Yeah. If ZoomX hadn't come along and started the next revolution of foam, they have the best foam. Yeah. Skechers has the best non-super foam on the planet, I think. Maybe. <laughs> it's better than Boost. Yes. It's better. I think it's it's better than fresh foam. Yes, but I think they're running into the same issue that uh, blah, 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 Saucony ran into when they came out with Everrun. Is that like, it's like a really good foam, but they don't know how to like engineer it so that it's like stable and like doesn't just go like this the whole time. doesn't just wobble. Have you run in the Razor? No. Wait, yes. Yes, I have. So that's close. And then the speed yeah. is the flat that has it and it has a composite plate in it. And it's thin enough, but still bouncy, but the plate keeps it pretty stable. And that one's close, but I haven't yet run in their speed trail. And I wonder how that one is. Yeah, dude, I think Hoka's, actually, we were just talking about this, you and I. I think Hoka's going to come out with a with a carbon plated uh, trail racing shoe. And, and Brooks has a prototype as well. They have, they have one out, actually. Oh, it's not carbon plated. They have their super foam. The catamount yeah. one? It's the so catamount. Funny. Yeah. It's like 11 ounces. Yeah, if they strip that one down, it's there. Dude, all you need is a belt sander. That's <laughs> true. What do you use then? This is my last one, Kirk. This is my last one. <laughs> because I, I've tried to Frankenstein some shoes. After you belt sand down, which I've done, yep. what do you use to reattach the outsole? I like E6000 and like a little bit of Shugu mixed in. And Atkins likes exclusively Shugu. And I think the Shugu does better in like winter. And I think the E6000 does better the rest of the time. What is the E6000? Uh, it's just like this industrial grade glue that like you can order anywhere. Is it a two-part epoxy? No. Really? Single, yeah, it's glue. Hmm. Okay. I mean, people use barge cement, but I think it doesn't like bond as well. And it like kind of cracks if you don't do it. Yeah. All right, now I have a question. <laughs> when, you're, when you're sanding things down, what are you, are you separating the sole completely? From, what are you doing? Like when you're Frankenstein these? If I lived in a perfect world in which people used like heat, uh, like glue that is like really susceptible to heat, then like mm -hmm. I'd stick them in an oven and rip the outsole off, which I've done, but don't live in a perfect world. And the way VJ makes their shoes, it's like more of like an injection mold. So a lot of the foam is inside the rubber lugs. And so you have to sand it down. Which is best for longevity. It's just not good for doing it yourself. Yeah, like this, they're not meant to get sanded down. I mean, no shoes are meant to get sanded down. <laughs> <laughs> I've removed with an X-Acto knife along the edge and then tried to like sand out and then scrape out and carve out the remaining injected pieces. Dude, just get 60 grit sandpaper and a belt sander. Listening to this is just like, I don't know. We always talk about things the pros do that like the everyday open and age group racer does it. only like three people who do it. <laughs> this is this is what not fully sponsored pros do because the fully sponsored pros like Galen Rupp would just tell Nike this and then they make his shoe. That's what they did for real. That's what they did on the track. They just, he's like, I really like Zoom X, but I really like the Matumbo. And they're like, all right, let's put a Matumbo plate with some Zoom X <laughs> instead of some, some blown rubber. And then we'll, now you're set. And they just did it for him. Well, so it was actually kind of frustrating in Sweden. I was already in Europe 
and I'd ask them to make, like I'd ask VJ to make me a shoe with a IROC outsole. And they were like, oh, well, maybe. And then I was like, can you also put an integrated gator on there? And they're like, oh, it's like too much. And I was already in Europe and they were like, and we can't put the new outsole on. And so I got to Sweden and had like five days to kill. And Spartan gave me these luggage covers and I just cut them apart and then hand sewed uh, these fantastic gators with like zippers and buckles on them. Um, and they worked great. And they like kept my feet warm for 24 hours. And then I showed them to the, the VJ guy, Billy. And he was like, oh, I guess we could have like, this is possible. And I was like, yeah, I made it out of luggage covers and like a hotel thread and super glue. <laughs> you need to be on like the R&D team for a high-end shoe company, Aaron, and, and take that route. Instead, I'm almost kind of sort of a little bit on the R&D for VJ, which is even better. That's right. Aaron, we should talk about you. This is like the, the most boring possible thing to talk about, but I love it. So what we want to do, we could bullshit with you all day. You're a guy that we could talk about nothing with for oh, eternity. Time. Uh, well, we might end doing that, but um, we want to like take a stroll down memory lane with you because I think people like today know the Aaron who somehow surrounds himself with, you know, social media tomfoolery and a little drama currently. But like, I don't know if many people know the man behind the screen, so to speak. And so... I want to get to know you a little bit, brother. I want to hear like your your upbringing, how you got to be the Aaron Newell who's wedged his way into the sport and um, you know made a name for himself. Yeah, I want to I want to hear how Newell got got his start. You cool with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know how I'm now associated with social media since I tried really hard to not do any of it. Well, there was a phase there. You know, you like to kick the beehive once in a while. Yeah, I think the troll king phase is dead. I'm just giving it up. I think Hunter is beating me. Like, I just don't want to win it anymore but <laughs> the troll thing dead you heard it here first that's the perception that a decent amount of people that's the only thing they know about you but obviously there's 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 several people in the sport who there's like online them and then there's them yeah and so <laughs> i feel like the 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 you that's not online you is much more fascinating interesting relatable and easy to empathize with than troll king you i think troll king's pretty empathetic <laughs> I, I think we have different definitions of the word empathetic. <laughs> well, I want—I just want to know, like, with that said, man, like, where where did you grow up? Uh, what sports did you play? All that stuff. Like, I want to go back to the beginning of like little, like when your mullet was actually in style as like a child. When those Dude, were... I had a mullet in high school. It was sick. Mm, I had one in elementary school and middle school for a little while. I did. Yeah. But anyway, take us back, man. Where'd you grow up? What uh, what sports you play? What's like your first loves that way? I uh, grew up in uh, upstate New York, Queensbury, uh, which is like the foothills of the Adirondacks. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, pretty, pretty normal, like suburban whateverness. And um, did like the whole Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts thing kind of sucked, didn't like it. Forced into it or? Yeah, pretty much. Like I like even early on, I was like, this is dumb. Like, just give me a knife and I'll fucking play with it. I don't need to. <laughs> like do all these stupid marriage things uh but uh yeah i don't know i played base well not really baseball i played little league when i was like very tiny and then i played like half season of like whatever the football thing is and then uh i actually played lacrosse for four or five years and like was on a swim team um and then my brother did cross country, and then and he's like five years older than me. So then I eventually did cross country, 
running and Nordic skiing um, and like picked those up, started doing them. Like my friends had been doing them since like they were tiny, tiny kids and like Nordic skiing that actually matters because like it's mostly technique based. Um, and then when I was like the end of like eighth grade, I got into rock climbing and that kind of like changed everything. Um, Cause up until that point, I kind of just like rolled over and died whenever somebody told me to do something. I, was, like, I, I mean, like I was like a very happy kid outwardly. Like everyone was always like, you smile so much, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But like my dad's total asshole and he'd like beat the shit out of me and I'd just like take it. And then, uh, yeah, once I started climbing, I kind of just like got surrounded by like a bunch of people who are like pretty independent, but also like not, not hard, well, pretty harsh people just in general. Like they either like had pretty hard lives or like they just like have gone through a lot of shit or like their friends died or blah, 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 blah. But, uh, yeah. So I ended up like wrestling and like fighting with them a bunch and like a bunch of random shit like that. For, for fun or for, like, really trying to, like, harm each other? Oh, no, not trying to harm each other. But, like, they were, like, 10 years older than me. And so, you, like, found your first group of, like, your people. So. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Even though they were, like, all drastically older than me. Um, so you're just wrestling older dudes. Pretty much, yeah. Getting, like, knocked out by older dudes is humbling at best. But, like, it definitely instilled in me this, like, <clears throat> idea that, like, somebody can, like, fully knock me out. And I can still, like, wake back up and, like, still go after them time and time again yeah. you and i have been to vastly different rock climbing gyms well so this is like old school so this is like third gym ever built in the country it's like literally in like basically a house like super tiny like cement holds uh like stuff would just randomly like explode as you're grabbing onto it you take you take whips on a carabiners and stuff would just like pull out of the wall and you'd land on the ground and you'd be like well <laughs> should probably fix the hole <laughs> uh but so you tried a bunch of different things and I'm sure you were probably, you're an athlete. So I'm sure you were like decent at most things. And then you found your rock climbing crew first and that kind of stuck and that stuck mostly because of the people or what? Yeah. Like the people and like, uh, like just climbing in general made me like a little bit stronger. So like I, I ended up getting like a little bit better at running. Like I wasn't like the best runner or anything. And then it like helped with Nordic skiing and then, uh, yeah. And it just like, kept going in a circle and then by the end of high school I was like ranked like top five in the country in like rock climbing and nordic skiing and was like a pretty good runner I was like sub 16 which isn't like great or anything but uh it's like okay um which like in New York cross country is like hands down the most competitive cross country in the country I don't care what people in California say it's no matter who you talk to, they're going to say it's top three, right? It's California, Illinois, and New York. Yeah. And the section mm -hmm. I'm in, section two, is like the most competitive section, period. Like, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but I don't know. There's like a lot of things and I just like did all the things, but mostly my dad was a piece of shit, so I didn't want to be in the house. So I'd just go straight. I'd like wake up before school, go for like an hour and a half jog in the mountain, in like the hills. And just like get lost and then like come back, go late to school, uh, go to school, leave, like make sure my classes were lined up so that like I, I could like go in at like 10 a.m. or something. I don't know, whatever it was, 8, 8 a.m. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then go to school, go to cross country practice or ski practice and then go straight to, like bike to the climbing gym and then go to the climbing gym from like 4.30 p.m. until like 9 p.m go back to my house, 
do homework and then your goal is to just get out of the house as much as possible huh yeah and then i'd like just like go straight up the stairs and like just like sit in my room do homework until i fell asleep at like one in the morning every single day <laughs> did you not have like because like, brack and i are super lucky i think that way like we had like a supportive like family athletically and other ways did you have anybody at home being like aaron you can do this or do better were you like always on your own yeah i mean like like mm, my sister had like really expensive piano lessons, like really expensive, like $100 a lesson. And my climbing gym membership was $60 a month. And they were like, you you have to pay for it. Like we're not paying for like this stupid rock climbing thing. And like, we're like, we're gonna get you like $5 hand-me-down Nordic ski boots. And meanwhile, I'm racing people on like a fleet of skis. Like they each have like 20 pairs of skis and I've got like, these like old school bindings and like barely getting around like every single year I race race dates. Like I, I won Nordic skiing States on a pair of borrowed skis. Uh, <laughs> that has to be unheard of. Well, I mean, it's not, well, yeah. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. It was, it was just annoying. And so like, it kind of like forced me to have like a family that wasn't my family. And like that would like perpetuate the issues where like, they'd be like, why, why don't you love us? And I'd be like, well, you fucking suck. Like, <laughs> why do you think? <laughs> you have always reminded me of the same life and upbringing as someone else in the sport. And it's probably not the person anyone ever draw the parallel to, but it's John Yatsko. Oh, Yatsko. I don't really know Yatsko at all. You guys both came from a household that just wasn't conducive to like being super successful in life. Um, his, his was more about like poverty level and no dad and yours was more of the, you had a dad and that was the unfortunate part. a drastically more successful human than me. Like, well, but, but you both escaped to running and outdoors early in order yeah. to have your outlet for some sort of childhood. And you both met your second family. His was his cross country team. He met Walmsley in high school. That's when they became training partners uh -huh. over the summer and winter. You know, you met your rock climbers and Nordic skiers. You guys, uh, he was, he had stories of duct taping his, his running shoes up so that he could get five, six, 700 miles out of them. And he wouldn't yeah. stop until he got blisters from his toes touching the ground. <laughs> You're winning stays on, you know, old three pin cross country ski binding, you know, stuff like you guys kind of have the same overall path through childhood, which our sport was love and passion and yours was escape. And that's a different lifestyle for a kid. Yeah. I mean, pretty much like when I say my dad was a piece of shit, like he'd like kick the dog that like he got and I'd be like, don't kick the fucking dog. And he'd be like, you going to fucking stop me. And I'd like, stand there and he'd be like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and then he'd like take a spring at me and then like he'd like go grab a metal rod and try to like beat the shit out of me like he broke ribs he like cracked my skull like tried to choke me out i choked him out multiple times like until he passed out uh like yeah i like i spent a lot of nights like sleeping in the woods with like nothing or like sleeping under the bleachers or like like running barefoot like down the street being like fuck 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 <laughs> why do you think he was like that and then we move on. But. Oh, I mean, like, like basically, like it's just like a vicious circle of like, you're not gonna do what I say. Well, like I'm just gonna say like, like you have to tell me you love me, and I'm just gonna be like, fuck no, why would I do that? And he'd be like, why don't you love me? And I'd be like, cause you're an asshole. And I'd be like, why don't you love me? I'm not an asshole. <laughs> so like, yeah, it just like it, it gets worse and worse. Before I knew you, and before we had talked about this prior, I I didn't get why you smiled your way through bad things. 
Ah, yeah, no, that I mean, that's actually pretty much where it's from. Like, I, yeah, but it makes sense. You know, the some of the ultras I've seen you in, like people get that glazed over look and your eyes get a little glazed and you're grinning. And you did that one snow race where you had your backpack was oh, too God. heavy and your neck and back locked up and you just finished it when, you know, and I didn't want to though. <laughs> finishing things is innate or it's learned. And yours was kind of intertwined from the beginning that you just hard is a different, difficult's a different, pain's a different connotation for you than Kirk and I. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I also think I just have like a slightly different mindset. Like I, I like, like, I, I like visualize like walking into a room and just like taking like bad, like this sounds cheesy, but like bad, like feelings and things and just like opening up a file cabinet, going to like the very back and then just like putting them there and then like shutting the file cabinet. And it's, it's always the same thing. It's always a file cabinet. And then I lock it and then I just like walk away. And then at like some point, maybe I'll come back and like unlock it and go look at those things. But usually if I just like leave them there, they just disappear. Really? You can separate yourself from that stuff? Like if you choose to? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I'm like obviously not perfect and get sad a lot, but like, I don't know, just bury your feelings and then you don't have to deal with them. <laughs> Check back in when you need them, huh? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, bury the bad feelings anyway. There's not that much point in harping on them. But like, yeah. the past two weeks have kind of sucked because like Hunter's being a piece of shit on the internet. So then I was like, fuck it, I'll be a piece of shit on the internet. And then uh, like, I'd keep putting my phone on airplane mode because like I wasn't sleeping. So I'd like go to sleep and I'd be like, motherfucker, why is he such a piece of shit? So like, I can't do it perfectly you know there's nothing i've been in that position before where people are really critical of you on the on the internet and it is more stressful people don't think it would be very stressful until you're the one that is being targeted because i have been by the tens of thousands <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about the bachelor life i mean twenty thousand tweets a minute of hate and people don't think it, it actually like oh i'm tough it doesn't get into my psyche or it's just the internet but like somebody will say something that just hits just right or when it comes in in droves you can move on, but it's harder than people think when you're the person under scrutiny, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I'm like coming to terms with the idea that like humans are just ingesting social media at like such a fast rate that like it doesn't matter. Like I can put whatever I want out there pretty much and like people will forget it in like a week and a half, except for like Josh Chase and like you two and like one other guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird <laughs> group to be sidled with. One other guy, Josh Chase and Kirk and I. People who like actually care and like pay attention to like shit that happened. But like other than that, like, I don't know, the like 1 million people who follow Spartan, but like don't actually, you know. People don't sit at home and think like, oh, I think Kirk's a piece of shit or Aaron's a piece of shit. They see something flash in front of them for five seconds. Yeah. They make some comment that they don't think about. And then they go on with their day and you're already a past thought. Nobody yeah. sits home and stews over stuff. Unless you're a real creep. Yeah. Or if I go after them on the internet, just fuck with them. Mm. Or like one guy was like, you're a piece of shit. And so I screenshotted it and sent it to his girlfriend. And his girlfriend was like, oh my God, I didn't know he was so mean. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, you have that playful, devious side that, I mean, it's got to be part of a coping and part of it just personality. But it's, again, it's it's halfway, even if you're miserable, you you tend to smile through things or, or use them in a way. It's interesting. But the second piece that I've noticed about you and your upbringing is outside of the sleeping under bridges and in the woods and surviving cold nights, like that's that's its own other thing. But you're, you're kind of like the OCR training hipster. Yeah, basically. You did it before it was cool. You you discovered mountain 
as a child. You discovered rock climbing as a child. You discovered those mixed modalities early, whereas most of us found it as a means to get good at OCR. You kind of lived that life growing up. Yeah, that's kind of why I could just like fall into it pretty easily and get like fifth at whatever that race was, that national series race. But uh, yeah, I mean, like high school me would have been really freaking good at like the current iteration of Spartan. Like I was like sub 16 5K person who could climb hard 513s. Like I wouldn't, I was a better climber then than I am now. And I was like lighter and faster. Like the only thing I couldn't do would, would probably be carry stuff, but I figured that out pretty quickly. So let's pick up the conversation from high school. You didn't finish that just for people. So you ended up being Nordic skiing state champ as in, were you like big school division, like number, like how, how does it work in New York? Uh, there's no divisions. Yeah. So it, uh, all the schools just race in the same thing. So I just beat everyone. And then I actually, they were like, what's the, what's the distance of the championship race? Uh, it's 10K, and then the next day they have, like, a team relay in which, like, they take the fastest split, and whoever wins that wins, like, that day too, kind of, sort of, informally. Um, but we won the relay anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, but, yeah, historically I'd broken, like, my sophomore year, I borrowed skis and poles <clears throat> and broke a pole and then broke a ski and then finished on one ski <laughs> <laughs> and then the next year, I think I broke a pole in like the worst spot to break pole because like I couldn't get one for like three k or something. In a championship race, which cost you perform your performance? Yeah, I still wouldn't have won or anything. Um, but like, yeah, like the, the year I won, pretty much nobody expected me to win except me. I was like, well, I'm just gonna like go train nonstop and just be tired the whole season, and then just like taper like a motherfucker, and then fucking crush these guys. And that's what I did. <laughs> You're the only one when I picked up. So I'm a new cross country skier, a skate, you know, like skate skiing. And I bought like a racing setup just in case. But I was real proud of the fact that like, I've been self taught. The only one who ever gave me any sort of acknowledgement on my cross country skiing progression. It's hard. Yeah, it is hard. But you're the only one who like seemed to give a shit about my skiing. So I know that that's like a love for you. It, oh, yeah. Like, honestly. So, yeah, I like really broke myself after high school I got like mono and giardia and like I yeah I don't know I, I like went to western state with hopes or not with hopes like on a ski scholarship and then they tanked the d1 ski team that was like ranked fifth in the country uh that's frustrating for the for the worst ranked football team in the country I'm not joking uh, you lost your scholarship yeah well yeah I mean like it, it was on the rocks anyway. And then I had to get a bunch of surgeries. Uh, and so like, then it like wasn't materializing anyway because they tanked the team. So, um, but uh, yeah, and then I had hopes of like becoming a professional, like marathon skier, which is like a niche within a niche within a niche. Uh, there's like five people who do it. So I was like, I'll be great at it. And then immediately blew out both my elbows and I pretty much haven't been able to ski since. <laughs> How'd you blow out your elbows? Uh, I was roller skiing and I just like tripped on a crack going really slowly and planted both poles and my both ulnar nerves blew out of the tracks that they're in this little cubital tunnel that they're supposed to be in. So it feels like I'm hitting my funny bone repeatedly when I try to Nordic ski. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Is that from impact on the ground or the way your elbows like locked when you dug your poles into the ground? Uh, they basically just blew out this like, so it's, it's just like a open sided tunnel but with a piece of cardinal or piece of like tendon or whatever 
like I was over the top of it and I blew out the tendon thing. And so it just rubs over this like really raw edge every time I pull. Of all injuries to take you out of a sport, that would not be one I would uh, have guessed. Yeah. And so I wanted to get surgery on it. They were like, well, there's like no damage to your nerve. And I'm like, well, there's going to be. They're like, we won't do it on somebody who's 19. And I was like, uh, but now, now the the science behind it has like gone far enough that like I could probably do it and not lose feeling in these two fingers. But it was like a forty percent success rate back then, so I wasn't gonna do it. Yikes. What about your running then? So you <laughs> ran and you were top in the state in cross. Uh, no, I mean I was like, I mean it's like again the hardest state, but I was like twenty fifth in class A, which is like the second biggest. Uh, and you were running sub 16 5k on cross course or three miles uh yeah 5k i don't think there's 25 people going sub 16 in our states at at the state championship bracken do you Dude, we there might be 10 10 Dude, maybe there's probably i don't know in new york on a cross country course close to a thousand <laughs> i mean i'm talking like at the state meet actually go sub 16 oh. really terrain on like a legit course. Yeah. Probably 200. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like I believe you. <laughs> they're so fast. Like I, I was like, Oh yeah, I have dreams of like becoming a professional runner. And then when you get beaten by like 200 guys who are like anywhere between the ages of like 14 and 18 and you're like, well, then like you go to college and then you just get smoked by everyone. <laughs> Like, I don't know, that that definitely kills a lot of thoughts of being good at things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my senior year, I went from 451 to 426 in the mile. And I thought, all right, even if I slow down my progression, I'll be sub four by the time I graduate college, and then I'll be a pro runner. And my sophomore year at college, 32 guys broke four indoor D1. Yeah. <laughs> I realized, <laughs> all right, um, <laughs> A, I may not ever break four. And if I do, no one cares anymore because running's yeah. not what I thought it was. Pretty much. Yeah. Breaking four minutes in the mile that indoor year did not get you to nationals. <laughs> That's that 32 guys did it and they took 26 with extra qualifiers. I bet there's more guys then than there is now who broke four. So, so. Possibly. I mean, it was a monster year, but the, the point was there were, there were sub four milers that didn't qualify for nationals. Yeah, that's being a 405 miler, that's not pro running anymore. So, yeah, the, the world's big. And that's why you go D3 and 409 gets you in. That's, <laughs> why, that's exactly why you do it. Are you guys both that fast? I didn't run 409. Not anymore. Kirk, do you run 409? Uh, 1500 uh, equivalent. I mean, we ran the 15 in college, so uh, yeah, it was always a 15. But um, so, so then go, did you end up going to college then? Uh, yeah, I started college. <clears throat> yeah, I'll give you where, did, where did you end up going? Uh, Western state. So I had like aspirations of walking onto the cross country team as well. And they gave me a scholarship. I mean, I like got offered scholarships to like St. Lawrence and like a couple other schools, but it was like not enough to like cover it. And I really wanted to like go live in Colorado and live in the mountains. Cause I still had like these delusions of like Colorado being like the most amazing place in the world. And, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So I went to college I, or sorry. Went on a road trip to West Virginia to just go climb for like a month and a half. I actually like skipped graduation so I could leave earlier and uh, fell off, was there for like a month and a half and fell off like 30 feet off a cliff on this like R X rated route. Um, that was like pretty hard. It was like a hundred degree day and just like my foot slipped off and uh, 
yeah, like broke slash sprained my ankle um, and then had to like hop out like four miles or something up a bunch of ladders. And uh, yeah, then I just drove to the desert in Colorado and just lived there for like a month and a half till school started. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then I like did some runs with the team and uh, was like, I don't know why I'm so tired. I can like still keep up with these guys, but I'm so tired. And it turned out that I had mono. So. And you said you had Jardia as well? Yeah, so actually, that that was actually the next year. Um, yeah, Jardia. That's another correlation to Yatsko. What did he get in between his sophomore and junior or freshman and sophomore year? He mentioned it on the podcast. It wasn't Ebola, was. but it was some. he picked something up in some third world uh-huh. country doing like a mission project or something. Oh, jeez. Mal- I think he had malaria. Malaria is, oh, I think, what he said he had. Yeah. That sounds weird. You guys, you guys just do your, your your interesting progression through your first year of college. Yeah, like I had to leave because I was just like sleeping fourteen hours. Like, like I left at the end of the first semester. I was just like, I'm sleeping fourteen hours a day. There's like something physically wrong with me. Mm. Uh, like, Did you end up going back? Yeah, so I drove back, and then I like went to community college that winter and spring, and then I like went back that fall and got Giardia, lost twenty pounds. I was like the same weight I am now. And then I was like 135 pounds, just like weighing nothing. But I was climbing really hard. So that was cool. You uh, you do a good job of like getting sick or food poisoning and then dropping like a bunch of weight. And then you become a really fast runner. Dude, it's so helpful. Yeah. What, what happened to you this last season? You got food poisoning mid-season or something. And what happened? Yeah, I got food poisoning at a Cirque Series race. I bought the last piece of pizza at a Whole Foods at like 8 p.m. Turns out not a good call. Um, but yeah, I lost like 15 pounds. Still still went to Palmerton, still raced there, raced a couple other things, raced Utah, was very sick, but whatever. It's not a sustainable athletic performance enhancer, though. Oh, yeah, not sustainable at all and terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you end up keeping a bunch of that weight off, even through Tahoe? Uh, yeah, through through Tahoe, I kept it off. And then I actually got sick after Tahoe, like pretty much everybody did. And then uh, kind of like ate, like totally sucked in OCRWC because I was like super light and super sick. Um, and then like put it all on in the next like four weeks before like trifecta champs in Sweden, which was fine. Going back to, so now you're like in this transition college, community college. I feel like at this point you've already had some tough breaks, like injury wise and stuff. And you're like, oh, dude. I, I secretly, you don't know this, Aaron, but I secretly actually root for you, no matter what people think. And I don't know if you know this, and I was going to tell you that. Because one, I think that you're, if people understood you a little bit better, there's a quote that's like, I don't like this man. I must get to know him better. <laughs> And I love that quote because it basically says anybody that you don't like, like you probably just don't understand them. You don't know them well enough. And not that I know you that well, but part of your story I know is like you have been bent over and pushed sideways with injury your entire young adult life. And the fact that you're doing what you're doing right now is pretty damn impressive. And I don't know if people actually like know your whole trajectory and the shit you clawed through, let alone besides the family stuff, like just on the injury front is pretty impressive. And it sounded like that started pretty young. Yeah, so yeah, I actually broke my feet a couple times in high school too, uh, just like running kind of too much, maybe. And mm-hmm. just like not like, I was like not eating real food. Like, I was just like, I don't want to be at the house. So I'm just going to like, like, I, I just had like piles of, or not piles, but like stacks of soda in my car and like bags upon bags upon bags of candy, like it, in the car because I was just like, I can't afford anything else. And uh, like, this is as soon as like, as soon as I bought my car, I was like, I'm like, 
staying away from the house as much as possible. So like I pretty much like lived out of the car when I was like 16 onward as much as I could. Like I'd still like go back to the house most nights. But uh, yeah, so like I think a lot of those were just from like malnutrition basically. You have not kicked that candy habit, by the way. Doesn't sound not not I'm so much better than I used to be. Like like I I would be like not functioning if I didn't have like can't like candy at a certain point. Like I'm I'm not joking. Which of you two have the most broken bones in your feet? Well, yeah, okay. I'll just do a roll call of surgeries and well actually, okay. Broke my foot three times in high school. Um yeah. let's see, at nineteen torn hip labrum. I had to get surgery to stitch the labrum back together. At the same time, I had a broken foot. That foot stayed broken for an entire year. Was on crutches for most of it. And then uh, got surgery on that foot. Uh, they fucked up the surgery, sewed it back up, didn't stick screws in it. Uh, the other foot was so broken that they had to do surgery on that foot. Stuck screws in it, fucked up putting the screws in, had to take them back out six months later. Accidentally rebroke my foot, taking them back out. So then I went to a different doctor who is the doctor for the Giants. Uh, he stuck screws in, that foot's good now, other foot's still broken. Meanwhile, three years later, uh, <clears throat> I just eventually give up on surgeries. And then uh, another three years later, I start obstacle course racing and then I'm like, well, I should probably get this fixed if I wanna keep doing this. So and then I go to the best navicular surgeon in the world and he fixes it, but it was broken for a total of six years. You're navicular. My navicular, which is like a career-ending injury for literally everyone. <laughs> That's the one bone. It's the same bone that you had the issue with in both feet. Both feet. Yep. Yeah. Like the, That's unreal. Yeah. The, the doctors I've seen about it are just like, yeah, this is like, nah, it doesn't really happen anywhere. Like, mm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a genetic, like things are like in the wrong spot. It was just like perfect storm of just like shittiness. What do you have for hardware in your body then? Well, they stitched my labrum back together with like dissolvable stitches um, and like these dissolvable things that like keep everything together. And they shaved down my femur head, so there's nothing in my hip. But uh, I've got two screws and a pin in my left foot and two pins and a screw in my right foot. Do you feel like, is it, are you ever pain-free in your feet with the residual of having pins and screws in there? Or can you actually run pain-free at times? Uh... I would say I can run pretty close to pain-free at this point. It's like, so I don't even think about it that much anymore. Like I'm like creaky in the morning, but like that surgery was like two years ago, two and a half now. And yeah, like it's still on like a pretty upward trajectory, which is good as far as pain goes. We had talked early on just briefly in your career. And then a couple months later, I saw someone online. You were in one of your typical arguments with someone, uh, where they're really upset and you're just like kind of playing around <laughs> in it. But they said something trying to hurt you. Like, yeah, this is coming from the guy who's never made a podium. He had one good race and he hasn't done anything next. And you commented back, like, I've been running on a broken foot for this entire time. Like, I fucking smoked your ass on a broken foot in cross country flats. Yeah, give me six weeks or six months until I can wear actual shoes and then let's revisit this conversation. I don't think anyone understood the depth of your, everyone's like, oh, I'm a little dinged up. Well, your level of dinged up was a little different. Yeah, I mean, like, even at the start of last year, like, I couldn't, I basically couldn't walk in, like, January, like, not this year, but last year, 2019. Couldn't really walk in January, February, ran Jacksonville, really couldn't walk after that. And then 
like did Alabama, hadn't been able to run since Jacksonville, couldn't like barely made it to the starting line. Uh, yeah, like still like. Why were you racing then? Why? I don't yeah. know. Dude, you, you gotta you gotta have some hope, you know, that, that things are gonna get better. You don't know. Actually, Kirk was at another race in California when mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm like super fit, first race back basically, and then like went out super hard, and then was like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, and then had to like pull out the next day, even though I like tried to warm up. I was like, oh, oh god, I couldn't walk. I was just like crippled. You were training under Woodsy, kind of then, weren't you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it it was hard for me to like train properly under Woodsy because like he's like, like he he's just like, yeah, just go run the workout, whatever. And I'm like, I like it's hard to walk today, (laughs) but. You know, I like talk every day, so I don't know. Yeah. What, uh, well, all I'm at is I had a crack in both of my uh, sesamoids. I got two metatar- three metatarsal stress fractures, all in my fourth, and a cuboid that took me five months to off of running to come back from. That's nothing. I got no hardware. So <laughs> to answer your question, Bracken, he's got me beat. Hand yeah, but you're a bigger boy than me. Oh, I'm big right now, too. It's stupid. <laughs> Got to work on that. So, okay. So walk us through then and let's get to, I want to, I got a lot of questions I want to ask you, but um, get to your, so your, your progression endurance athletics then you're okay. We understand you're walking on peg legs basically for like a decade or five to seven years. Yeah. Pretty but much. What, what were you doing like athletically then? Cause obviously you were still building some sort of foundation, still trying to make shit work. Uh, yeah. So I like basically spent like, I think it was like six years pretty much of uh, like bro- something was broken and I spent two of like a total amount of time of two of those years either on crutches or in a wheelchair. Um, and uh, yeah, I like I still did climbing competitions. Like I got to like pro finals in like multiple climbing competitions with a boot on, and was like I would like hop around and like hop onto the start. And like the boot, the boots weigh like six or seven pounds, so it's already hard to climb with them. Uh, but. Yeah, so I I climb like I still had to work, so like I worked as like a climbing route setter with like a broken foot. Did yeah. you have insurance? I had insurance at the time. That's kind of why it was like a race to get the last surgeries because it ran out. So I don't have insurance now. So you got through all the surgeries without having to just like live off credit cards. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean I wasn't like working and stuff, which was hard, or, or like it was hard to work. You but know? you weren't. You didn't at least have hundreds of thousands of medical. No, no, thankfully. Yeah, like my brother had three hip surgeries and one of them was out of pocket and he's still paying for it. Like he was like really frustrated and was like, fuck it, I'll just go find the best hip surgeon in America. And he had to pay out of pocket. Wow. So when you were, so when your foot was out of commission, you were still rock climbing, still doing something, trying to. And then when your foot was actually like somewhat cooperating, if you could say that, like you were still running and you were doing some trail racing, right? And some other stuff. Yeah, I was like... Yeah, so I lived in Gunnison, I lived in Missoula, Montana, I lived in Bend, I've like lived in multiple vans at this point that I've built out and don't own. <laughs> uh, I, I, I lived in Flagstaff and that's where I started like being like, okay, like the people like actually train properly for ultras now and like this is where they do it. And I like lived with uh, Eric Sensman, who's like a really good ultra runner and like would occasionally run with like Walmsley and be like, fuck, he's so fast. And just like generally feel like so slow and terrible and just like compare myself to people who are like really, really good, which I think is good. Like if, if you just surround yourself with people who are like 
drastically better than you and you just aspire to be like better than them, if you fall short, you're still really freaking good at something. Uh, so like, I feel like that's where I'm at now. It's like, I try to be really good at something and instead I'm like, pretty good. There's some power to that. Yeah. I mean, like, it's really helpful for obstacle course racing because it's just like a combination of things that you just need to be like, okay at. And if like, you're the most okayest at the most things, then like, you're the best. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at our sport, if you look at the guys who are freaky at different skills, there's probably only maybe what, two guys in our sport who are actually top 10 in the world or 15 in the world at one of those freaky skills. Like I would say John's mountain running yeah, and Johnny's descending. Well, yeah. I mean, that's been proven to be otherwise at Golden Trail. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think that he was really compromised by how beat up and the races made him. I don't think he's made for stage racing at this point, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I would say in some of his like black diamond ski descent, like a certain type of terrain. Yeah, but there's no downhill races in the world. So no, I'm just saying skill sets, individual skill oh, sets. Okay. Individual skill sets. Yeah. I mean like, yeah. Atkins is like a world-class biker. I yeah, been world-class at nothing. So that's not very Yeah. On the whole, most of us are just like mediocre at multiple things or like better than mediocre but like not pro level we look at vj as one of our fastest guys and he just ran 424 you know like and he's not a sub 15 5k guy right now so like our best people are still just the okayest at other things i think i forget uh let's see once a runner it was like dude, you guys read once a runner right mm -hmm. oh yeah uh, many times in there that's like oh you ran under 420 in high school so did everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like kind of funny when people are like, BJ's so fast. It's like, well, yeah. BJ's like fast in a collection of people who like aren't that fast. Right. I think that what well, the other part of the quote was Kipling was a 430 miler in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Sorry. It was, it was based on 430. But yeah. Yeah. In the running world, we're all mediocre. Yeah. Oh, totally. So you're right. You just have to be the best at being pretty decent at a lot of things. Yeah. Which was driven home when I went to the Solomon Trail Running World Championships uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh, <laughs> they're so good at this. <laughs> they're, but it's just like tracker roads, right? Once you get to the real pro running, they're all the same. They're all super light, oh, yeah. super fit, super big volume. It's It doesn't matter what endurance sport you get to. The pinnacle are all really tiny, frail people. Yeah. Me and Atkins were huge compared to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, me and Atkins were the same. Everyone thinks he's huge. You got you're you're broad in the shoulders, Aaron. That's so. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if I'm not mistaken, then I actually met you. I think at your first Spartan race in Las Vegas. Second race. My first race was actually in Phoenix, and I lost to Isaiah Vidal. He kicked me in the face in the barbed wire, and then I missed my spear. I believe that. Yeah. Okay. Second race, but you were so somehow then you went from all this, and then you were training for like a tough mutter, like a twelve yeah, three hour. hour. Yeah, and that got canceled because of the mudslides. Uh, so, point being, how wh where did this then OCR thing start? It started with tough mutters or this aspiration. Why were you like, I'll try that? because uh, I've known who Atkins was for over a decade now, and I like he's he's come down to the Adirondacks uh, and like run faster for over a decade, and I've tried to beat his times for over a decade, and. Uh, yeah, so basically we actually did our first, both of our first ultras together was Bear Mountain 50 miler and I like, happened to see him in the results afterwards and he was like, 
45 minutes behind me or something. And I was like, hoo-hoo. And then he started obstacle course racing. And I was like, oh, maybe I should do this. And then my foot was broken for six years. So it's like, well, whenever I'm done with this broken foot thing, I'll try OCR. And then at that point, unfortunately, everybody got really good at OCR. And now it's harder to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yes, it is. That picture you posted of what would you call it? You call it Fat Atkins? Fat Atkins. Yeah. A- after from that race a decade ago. Dude, it's so good. Man, it shows, so good. What, it shows what he's done with his body since then. Yeah. Because he looked like the everyman on the trail. And now you don't That's see good. people that look like him. Dude, yeah. So I like people like speculate that like Atkins is like some genetic freak, but he's not. He's just like better than most people at learning from his mistakes. Like he went to that race and got like fuck 35th or something and like barely finished. And he did it in like MT 101s, which I also almost ran that race in. But uh, like his feet got shredded and whatever. But uh, the next year he went back and won. So like, and then the year after that, I think he one again uh but like he has freaky characteristics yeah oh he has freaky characteristics for sure but he like learns better than anyone like like he he knows what he needs to do and he just like does it like he he doesn't really think that hard about it and there's not like that much emotion going into it he's not like oh i don't want to do it like blah 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 blah. he's just like oh for jacksonville i just need to get on the treadmill once a week and set it at like 420 mile and just crank off repeats at it like that's just what he does like he just doesn't think he's like slightly psychopathic. <laughs> the most surprising thing about that photo was just like the dude that carried, he carried extra body fat and you know, he's one of the most cut up people in the sport and yeah. to watch him be like, just like, I'm not going to say pudgy, but I might say pudgy. Like was mind blowing. It was just mind blowing to see that that was a stage of his, his career. And you're right. I think people oversell his talent and, and undersell his, his just pure work ethic and learning. Yeah. Like the fact that he's had 20 years of, endurance like pretty much uninterrupted like like at a high level is like helpful obviously but it doesn't mean he's a genetic freak just means he has more hours than pretty much anyone in the sport he seems to approach things computerish like he takes in the data he he spits out a training plan and he does every piece of it and then adds in a ton of volume on top of that like it's like you said it's not an emotional connection to what the work that needs to be done yeah he's just like oh I'm going to go ride my bike for five hours today. Then I have to get on a treadmill for one hour. That is like the most amount of time I possibly want to spend on a treadmill. But if I'm going to do speed work, I'm going to do it in the most efficient way possible. (laughs) Mm. And that's what he does. So the reason you, you found the sport then is because you watched watched what he was doing and thought, Hey, I think I'm as good or better. And I want to, I want to go spank him. So actually, yeah, I saw Jun Young Pack do uh, the world's toughest mutter. And I was like, I could fucking beat this guy. I can go further than that in 24 hours, which I think at that time I probably could have. Uh, so Atkins then, was he more of like an aspiration and inspiration or just somebody you wanted to like beat? Like you just like didn't like the fact that. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and so what is it? That's kind of weird because you guys are buddies now. Like what is that? What is that like? Oh. Like becoming friends with somebody that you Strava stalked forever. Oh, and- yeah, totally. But like. You, you have to understand that it's in the Adirondacks and the fact that he was even in the Adirondacks is like, we should be best friends, like whatever. Yeah. Like, nobody comes here. Like, like the only people that come to the Adirondacks are people who like generally like love just like suffering and like being by themselves and like hurting. 
Whereas like anyone who runs fast and like comes here to run fast just gets like beaten to the ground. Like it's the hardest possible place to like train appropriately and like train quickly and like feel good about yourself. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so like, so I was like, yeah, he's like the fastest person on like my home ridgeline and it pisses me off. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I respect the shit out of him. And like, I want to beat him because then like I'll feel slightly validated. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I didn't think too hard about it. I was just like, yeah, he, he does cool shit. I want to do cool shit. Let's do cool shit together. It, it it reinforces that in the trail scene, the ultra scene, and the OCR scene, you get into sport because of your circle of friends or those people that you know. It, it, there's no club around you that you grew up doing it. It's, I know my buddy does this and he's successful, and I think I could get a little bit out of that too. Yeah. I mean, like OCR, especially for me, is just kind of like, I get to train the exact same way I've been training mine entire life <laughs> um, which i'm now discovering is not the case and i have to like get a little bit stronger but whatever you think so yeah especially if spartan cross is going to be a thing then i definitely have to get a little bit stronger will you go after a spartan cross or will you stick to uh, what you traditionally like to do which is i have no fucking idea so <laughs> well, historically the the hillier mountainous races are better than short flat ones for you yeah i mean i don't know like deep down inside of me, there's a human that is fast. I just need to like dig him out of the trenches of loving to run really slowly all the time. Like I ran Jacksonville. I, I was basically in fifth and then I missed my spear. Yeah. You were up to third, weren't you at one point in that race? Yeah. I was in second. Check him. So you, then you just, you, so talk us on your Spartan career though, real quick before we like get into today then. So you, uh, you just hopped into the national series randomly a few years back. Pretty much. You took, you took fifth in your first national series race in San Jose, which was now your third Spartan race, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Everybody said, who's that guy? Um, and I was surprised because you didn't perform like that in Vegas or in Arizona beforehand. So obviously you knew something we all didn't. Yep. And then that, that was enough. You were like, Hey, these guys are all right. And I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this now. I mean, so the timeline was February did Phoenix. Start of March did Vegas, end of March did San Jose. So I had six weeks to get better at something I'd never done. So the learning curve is like extremely steep at that point. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, so like, I was like, oh, I have to figure out how to carry a bucket. So I like went home, bought a bucket, carried it around the neighborhood every single day for six weeks. And then I was like, oh, I know how to carry a bucket now. So like, I don't know, I was good at obstacles. And I was like pretty fast at running at that point. So yeah, I don't know, pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> and then like i'd like catch up to people like vj and at the time he was like i'm so hot shit i'm like on the spartan pro team and i'm like the <clears> youngest <throat> guy and then i'd like pass him and he'd be like huh, 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 huh. and i'd be like <laughs> this is the easiest race ever i only have to run for an hour and that was it yeah that was it and then you were like i think i'll just i'm gonna keep doing this yeah pretty much i mean it wasn't like i'm gonna make a ton of money doing this because like obviously that's like I've I've put it together enough that that's like not the case. Like sports is not the avenue for money. <laughs> not our sports, not endurance sports, unless no, you're the sports. guy or the woman. Yeah, exactly. You have to be the whatever it is. Yeah. The only one. So bring us up to present day then, man. Like this year has been a weird one. You know, people have been kind of grasping at straws to find things to light their fire. And yeah, I feel like you've been doing kind of a lot of actually – yeah. competing and epic shit. You did some cool stuff with Kempson. You did hop into some races. Like what does your 2020 look like? Uh, yeah. So I did Jacksonville, ended up ninth, 
miss my spear, whatever. Not bitter about it at all. Uh, then uh, San Luis Obispo, I was going to go do the ultra. And then that got canceled. So I like quickly called in like the biggest ask ever to like go run this 100 miler in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. In two days later. Uh, and then I was like there. I was like, oh, I've got a backpack. And they were like, oh, you should have a sled. You're fucked. And then it turns out I was fucked. Uh, did that. Moved back to New York. Did the thing with Kemps in the 12ers in Vermont. Just like, well, well, tell people about that. What was that? It was pretty epic. Yeah, so it was actually on the hottest recorded day Vermont's ever had. <laughs> it was 95 degrees in the shade, and most of what we did was in the sun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I had to pretty much not run since the 100-miler, which was two months before. But uh, I've been biking a lot. And it's it's uh, twenty about 20 or 25 miles of running and, like, 12,000 feet of climbing because <laughs> it just goes, like, up a ski hill, down a ski hill. Um, and it's 100 miles of biking total in between and just goes, like, in a straight line down the state, which is awesome. And what's the point of it? You hit every what? You hit every 4,000 foot or higher peak in Vermont, which is only five of them, but they're like five mountains you summited with a hundred miles of biking in between. Yeah. And the biking had like 8,000 feet of climbing on it. So, and this is an official rec. This is an officially recorded route. I mean, anything you put on fastestmountaintime.com is a officially recorded route. So you have the fastest officially, officially known time then. Yeah. Yeah. We have the fastest time. Uh, me and Kempson. How much did you beat the old record by? Only like an hour. It is actually by my friend Peter, uh, who did it on like a much better day uh, to do it. Like it was drastically cooler conditions. Would you do it again and plan the day out better? Yeah, I've, I've almost done it again, like three different times. So I, unfortunately, I'm like, at that time, Kempson was like in slightly better running shape than me. But I was in like, I'm a much better road biker than him, like a lot better. Um, he like doesn't know how to hold a draft, so like I was just like soft pedaling for a hundred miles, uh, which sucked. I, I saw he was on his old steel bike, and you guys swapped bikes for him after a while. Uh no. So I actually borrowed my brother's bike and let him do it on my brother's bike, which is a okay. faster bike than mine. Uh, but uh, yeah, if I did it again, I'd probably do it on a TT bike. Would you really? Yeah, I think so. It's got enough like open road. Is it? Can you TT safely on that highway? Really and can you hold 100 miles of time trial position? Yeah, sure. Why not? They do it at Kona. Well, yeah, but I didn't know if you would spend time on a time trial oh, bike. Me in particular? I don't yeah. know. I'll figure it out. If I can't, then I just sit up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, I, or I would just put clip-on aero bars on my road bike. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. would work just as well. There, I mean, there is some gravel on it, which sucks on a TT bike. You, probably, yeah. you might flat. I don't know. So what else did you do this year then? Oh, yeah. And then I got the record on the Great Range, which is one I've been trying to do for that's probably well over a decade now I've tried to get the record and Atkins is the one who had it. And that's like kind of the reason I got into like bigger mountain running because I was like, this is like the most iconic line I can see. And like, it is, it's like, what's it like? Uh, it's a, uh, it's 21 miles, but in thir in the first 13 miles, there's 10,000 feet of climbing. <laughs> uh, and it's wow freaking gnarly it's like super it's technical. real technical right yeah it's really technical like a lot of like jumping like four to ten feet off of ledges like a lot of it like non-stop and uh 
yeah, like your adductors just like blow out pretty quick because you're just like constantly like high stepping and like pulling on things. And uh, yeah, so I got that record, which like meant a lot to me. Literally been trying that for over a decade. That's got to be a brutal one because you can't wear a cushioned shoe because it wouldn't be stable enough on those rocks. Yeah, you'll freaking die. Like you can't wear hokas in the the Adirondacks. Like if you want to go fast, like it just doesn't happen. Uh, So did you do that in BJ's? Yeah, I did it in the extreme. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the perfect shoe for it. Um, and it's it's pretty funny. It's like I got VJs on all the like fast people here, and they were all like, "Yeah, this like revolutionizes running in the Adirondacks because it's like so slippery and so rocky, and like there's a bunch of like crampon claw marks which are slippery, and like the fact that it like sticks even when it's wet, it's like mind blowing to people here. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, like it's like. I don't think I could have beaten Atkins time without BJ's, which is cool. <laughs> so is he just going to turn right around and try to take it back? Yeah, definitely. Well, we, we were planning on doing it together, uh, like really just smashing it. Because I, I wanted to get under like the five hour mark, but I like tripped in like the last couple miles and kind of just like flattened my legs and I like sort of found it in. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I was also like dying hard. Uh, but uh, How long? So so how much do you carry for something like that? Was it just weight belt or waist belt or did you wear a full pack? You know, I've got this like super light Arch Max vest that's like falling apart. Uh, I think I had, I actually carried one bottle up to like four miles in, drank it. And then I had two more at the ready with mixes already in it, filled those up in like a stream. I don't filter anything here. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, ran across the ridge. Kempson actually ran it with me, uh, sort of, but he like from like an hour in, I could tell he was dying and I was descending faster than him. And I just have that route like go dialed. Um, and then I filled it up. I I had two more bottles that were pre-filled with powder. So I had like five bottles total, which is funny. Uh, and then scooped those up. One of them had perform late in it. And I just went crazy after that. And, uh, I think I might've had like two or three maple juice, but like, a lot of calories mm-hmm. and like i think a lot of people would have been like yeah it's not enough calories but like like 1200 calories of stuff so it was a really hot day too it was like not the ideal day to do it so you did that smashed that which is very impressive. yeah did that and then is that anything else you've done this year because i feel like you've always been like kind of hot on something so i kind of got heat stroke like twice once during that uh, or like heat exhaustion once during that 12 verse thing i was like contemplating like how Kempson was going to get me out of there. And like, if he heat stroked first, like how I was going to get him out. Like, we're basically just like, well, we'll see if one of us gets heat stroke and the other one has to carry them down the mountain. But at the same time, I was like, if there's anyone on the East coast to get heat stroke with and have them have to carry you down a mountain, then like an obstacle course racer is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there there was like snow everywhere. So if we heat stroke, we just throw the other one in the snow. Easy peasy. But, uh, and then I got it again, like a week after the great range and yeah, so I had to do the great range, like before this, like massive heat wave struck. And then I went running during the massive heat wave and was like fucked up for like three days or a week or something. Nothing since. Uh, nothing. Uh, Well, oh, sorry. Yeah. And then July was like total fluke, kept trying the devil's path, uh, just like kept dying. Cause I was like still dealing with heat stroke basically or heat exhaustion. And, uh, then like August came around. I did something. I, I like won an obstacle course race that I didn't tell anyone about because COVID. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then did 
breakneck trail run, which was pretty cool. It used to be a sky race. Now it's still a race. Got the course record there and then went for the Prezi to get a golden ticket to the trail running world championships. Um, And that's probably like the stoutest record in the Northeast. It's like probably equivalently like five minutes faster than my great range time. And I think like his is stout and I'd never tried it. And so I went out there and tried it and like missed by a lot. And I was like, fuck it. I'll try it again in like three days. And then hung out over there, went for like a really hard bike ride and then just like did nothing the next day. just ate a bunch of lobster and then went back and was like, well, this is the last possible chance because you had to do it by October 1st. I was like, Explain the golden ticket real quick. So I don't think a lot of people know it. So Solomon put on what they call a world championship, and it pretty much was, uh, in the Azores, which is an island in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, and to get, like, free flights and lodging and travel. Uh, and, and basically the only way to get into the country at that point was to go there for work. And, like, I can kind of justify it for work because I don't have any other way to get money. <laughs> and uh like it makes sponsors happy and on the off chance i got into the money then that'd be great um in hindsight there's no way i was ever getting into the money uh but uh yeah golden ticket gets you free stuff and how did you get a golden ticket so presidential traverse in new hampshire i mean what was their process what did the golden ticket require of you uh there was five different strava segments in the u.s or in north america um and you just had to be the fastest one by uh october 1st in 2020 um so yeah i went over there and all the aspiring mountain runners who wanted to go there for free all went after these five segments and whoever the fastest on each one was they got all expenses paid yeah so i was pretty yeah so atkins and Lindsay got the canadian one there was only one in canada um (laughs) and i johnny actually had the one in boulder but then Joe Gray went and just like casually got it and like labeled it as like first run back, super easy, uh, uh, felt pretty shitty. Uh, it was super soft record. And it was like such a dick move because then he didn't even take the ticket. Right. So if you didn't go, you could take the 500 euros. Uh, and, but like, so Johnny didn't get a ticket and then he kind of like pulled some strings with Solomon and Solomon wrote him a letter so he could get in but uh i'm happy he went. i'm glad he, went. he he should have gone he like deserved to go uh but yeah like i had no chance on any other segment and the one in the northeast is just like straight uphill like it's a four thousand foot climb it starts with and then it's just like ridge line for a long time and uh yeah it's eight thousand feet of climbing in 18 miles and you got it yeah and i got it and i got it on like the last possible day basically and i took it from a guy who is a 1335k guy. Oof. Yeah. Was he pissed that he didn't get to go to the Azores? So I was super stealthy. I uh, I didn't, I made my run private right after I did it. Like immediately, as soon as I uploaded, I was like private. And then, uh, so nobody knew about it until like the day, like I waited until like there was no possible chance of anyone doing it. I mean, it was only like three days. And then I unprivatized it and just like email, 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 email of like Strava segments. <laughs> That's savvy. That's actually really savvy. Yeah. And so like I had actually talked about that and then Atkins was like, that's a good idea. And then he did it. Um, like he and Lindsay both did it. <laughs> and 
And I was like, what if somebody's going to do it to me? Mm. Uh, Did that guy ever contact you? Oh, yeah. We like chat on Instagram now all the time. Because so like, he trains with Ben True. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and I have like a huge crush on Ben True because he was like an amazing Nordic skier who's just like, fuck it, I'll like run. And then now he's like one of the best runners in the world. Yeah. That's cool. So that's your last, that was your last big pursuit then? Uh, yeah. And then I did Spartan Games like a week later. That was the shitty part is I was like, this is getting really close to Spartan Games and I don't know what that entails. And it turned out that like my legs were still pretty flat for that. Are you sick of talking about Spartan Games? I've avoided talking about it quite a bit. <laughs> you have? Uh, yeah. I mean, Matt Davis was like, can you do a podcast? Blah, 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 blah. blah. And I was like, no. And then I was like, fuck, he like has no way of making money. And I was like, okay, I'll do 10 minutes. And then it turned into like an hour. And I was like, right. oh, damn it. And then I like obviously made myself look like a piece of shit and whatever. I'll start by brushing over everything, the details. Oh. The, the, the overhead view of Spartan Games was the ultimate be good, good-ish at a lot of different things. Nah. You don't think so? That's what it was supposed to be. What did it expose in you that you can that you will change for next year, or was it like this is so non applicable I won't even do anything? Uh, I mean, they just have to change the scoring system. Like, I think. What no, I mean, for you to to take into your athletic endeavors, regardless if you ever do a Spartan Games again. Oh, okay. It just made me be like, oh, I am pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, like, I'm like really powerful. But as far as like strength goes, like I'm not that strong in like the like the like picking things off the ground direction. I'm like really strong in like the pulling things down direction. So yeah, but I have like a lot of power, um, which I've known before, but that just like emphasized it. Like the rock thing, I was like, okay, like I can probably pick up this super fucking heavy rock, even though I'm like one of the weakest people here. As long as it's within like 10 seconds, if I have to hold on to it for longer, it's a problem. So you, you disagreed that said you have to be kind of good at a lot of things. Yeah. You're saying it's the opposite. What is, what is your take on it then? What did you have to be good at to do well? You had, well, if you're an endurance athlete, I think you had to be good at a lot of things. And if you were a strength athlete, you just had to be strong. That's it. Like Hunter had no, like Hunter's ranked what? 300th as a crossfitter and somehow they couldn't find one of 299 other crossfitters who were better than him to show up to the Spartan games to like compete against him. And yet somehow they found me, Josiah Middow, who is Xterra world champion and probably the only person in the country who can like face down Atkins on a bike and running. And they got Jared Shoemaker, who is probably the best open water swimmer in the U S and then <laughs> they got like another triathlete. Uh, like they, they just got like all these people to compete against Atkins and they're like nobody to compete against uh, Hunter. The, the way the point structure was is that it didn't benefit you to be like good at a lot of things. It benefited you to be really good at a few things. You had to snag a win. Otherwise you had no, you had to snag multiple wins. Otherwise you had no chance. Yeah. And for that, you had to be really good at specific things. Yes. So the endurance guys battled out for scraps of points and Hunter had no one to challenge him on his strengths. Yes. Yeah. And like, as you saw on the mountain bike, like I would, I like, had I raced it as hard as I could, I probably would have been like a couple percent back from Atkins and Josiah, but there was no reason to, because I would still have lost to them. Yeah. <laughs> third is third. Points. Whereas Ryan Kent, like first time on a mountain bike ended up fourth and like got like a couple percentage points, less points 
but like in reality is probably like 50% worse at biking than me. <laughs> and destroyed himself to do it. Yeah, kind of, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, the point is like you're saying, the, the points don't incentivize you to destroy yourself if yeah. you already have your next place. Yeah. Whereas he had to fight for his place. Yeah, whereas if it was percentage-based, then like even last place would be like, oh, I have to like go fast or I'm just going to lose like a catastrophic amount of points. Yeah, either percentage-based or decathlon style point table has to be mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way about the like the Spartan US National Series point scale or do you think that's fair with the big drops and then the one point drop off after 10? Do you think the same thing applies? Yeah, well, yeah, it just depends on what you want. If you want good TV, then yeah, do the big percentage points so people will go for first, second, and third and blow up or yeah. like want to find out who the actual best is, which I don't see why they would. Uh like I, like I genuinely don't see why they would want to be like, oh, let's like figure out who's like pretty good at everything, but not like great at anything. Uh, and like, yeah. Then so how would you score it? Would you do cross country style scoring where every place is one point different, or would you do percentage of of leaders' time for the U.S. series? Uh percentage probably. I think percentage is like the most accurate way to do anything. Like that's kind of how I gauge yeah. like women's times versus men's times, and like whether or not like the women had to like try and erase or whatnot. Makes sense. Like the 10% back thing is pretty solidly founded in science. Aaron, I have a question and I don't know the answer even remotely to this, as far as you go. Do you have like a training philosophy or a training style? What is the rhyme behind your reason or the method behind your madness? If there is any, like, I think you're one of those guys that's still kind of a little bit of a mystery that way, as far as I think Bracken and I's general training philosophy is somewhat pretty well known and how we train. I think we make it pretty apparent. At least I do on my Strava, for example, uh, you, we don't really know what mm-hmm. the hell you're doing ever. What are you, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? It's not like I've been trying to keep it a secret or anything. It's just like, I like watching people flounder. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you have do you have training principles you stick to, or do you train intuitively? So yes and yes. Uh, like for a while, I got like Woodsy to coach me, and then I got like Nell Rojas to coach me leading up to Tahoe, which I thought was like super beneficial. Like get specific training, and like I was bad at these things, and I want like had to work on these things. So like we came up with like a plan for that, uh, but. Yeah, because I do like such a variety of things from like a three mile race to like a hundred mile walking race, pretty much. Uh, like, I, I think like generally sticking to like 50 to 70 miles a week. And then like, if I have a hundred mile race coming up, I'll do like a really like two really long runs and then like really long runs. But like, if I have short races coming up, then I'll probably just do like keep everything less than 20 miles and like drill a lot like or like fucking hammer you know you mean like speed work or what do you mean yeah yeah but like even long runs i'll just like start out at like seven minute pace and then i'll immediately cut down to like 620 and then just like hold that for as long as i can (laughs) and just like then like keep cutting down as i get closer to the end which is more like woodsy style training um but yeah like I, i i would not say that i have like a strict like training philosophy because I don't, but I, I do think I do a lot of strength work, which I didn't used to do as much of, and it's really helpful. And I don't really practice obstacles at all because there's no point. I'm not gonna get better at them. Like, like, like I, I mean, like I could like go to a ninja gym and like practice monkey bars like all day long. I might get like 1% faster 
or like 10% faster on an obstacle that takes eight seconds. Like I just need to run a lot. <laughs> uh, like that's still 95% of the race. Maybe to like give us a little more of an insight. Like what are some of like your, the workouts that seem to stick over time for you that like you'll go to just, um, uh, and if you don't want to give away the sauce, it's fine. Oh no. I mean, I just don't have, you really enjoy and repeat. No, I just like, don't really have like a secret recipe or anything. Like if I have like Jacksonville, which is like a 5k coming like a 5k obstacle course race, then like I'll do three by mile and, and like, I'll do a bunch of like 10 minute, uh, like hit style or not hit style, but like AMRAP style workouts. And then, uh, I'll like make sure that I'm like pretty strong. Like I, I didn't do any carries at all before Jacksonville and I carried faster than anyone in the field. And it's because I just did like a shit ton of weighted split squats. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> Like it, it's kind of confusing, especially in Boulder, because everyone's so fast that you're like, wow, I think I really suck right now. And then like I look at like Johnny Strava and I'm like, wow, he's like so fast right now. And then like show up and beat him. And I'm like, OK, cool. It's really hard to put metrics on paper that, you know, translate to a race when you're yeah. comparing to other people because you know how yours translate. But like you said, you look at someone else's Strava and I all the time I do it. I'm like, I cannot do intervals at the pace that these people tempo at. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. But they haven't beat me in a race. Like, where's the disconnect? It's a, yeah. or other guys I look at and be like, there's no way this person should beat me because I know my metrics are better and I've never beaten them in a race. So it's, it's a strange sport. I, I would say if I had like a cut and dry, like philosophy, like most of my miles are really, really, really slow, like painfully slow. Like people don't like running with me because they're really slow. Um, and like my bike miles are really freaking slow. And then every now and again, I do a workout and I just hit it as hard as I can. And it's still like not very impressive on paper, <laughs> but like I, I like do a lot of volume at really low intensity. And then I do like some really high intensity. And then I do some like AMRAP style workouts and then i climb and that really is your philosophy though you're just literally the epitome of polarized training you're easy days easy and do a lot of them and hard days hard like that yeah that probably sums it up better than anything and, and the nuances are kind of irrelevant yeah and like i would say it like fluctuates a little bit based on what i'm training for but i honestly feel like i could go out and run like a really or like a fast for me 5k right now but i could also go run a 100 mile race in the snow because I don't think it takes, <laughs> like, I don't think I would change my training that much. Like, What do you think you could run a 5K in right now? 15.45. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I did a 18-mile run the other day, and, like, 13 miles in, I hit, like, a mile marker, and I just drilled it, and I ran, like, 4.50, and that was after running, like, two other mile repeats before that, so. <laughs> it's fitness. I believe that you don't have to actually be much faster than 1545 to be successful in our sport. Oh, I don't think so at all. And especially with the trajectory it's going. Yeah. And so like, if I can get slightly faster than that, that'd be great. Yeah. And then it's just all about what percentage of that can you maintain after the first mile, you know, 10 minutes of the race. Yeah. Once everyone's tired. Yeah. Which I think we've actually talked about. And I think that's like my forte is like, like you guys talk a lot about compromised running and like, that's my entire life has just been like running while fucked up and like <laughs> so I'm really good at it. <laughs> like I'm not, it's a, not a better skill set to have. Good at running while fucked up, which is carries and whatever. I mean that's that's Atkins, that's Hunter, yep. that's Hobie. They were the guys 
that you can't tell whether if you took footage of them during a race, you couldn't tell if it was during an OCR race or during a road race yeah. because they're, and you're the same way. I've, I've looked at, I've lusted after your stride a lot. In fact, <laughs> today I was doing some five minute intervals at 15% on my treadmill. And I was looking and I realized like Aaron has so much more elbow drive back when he's tired than I do. <laughs> and so like, I've looked at your stride. You have a powerful stride and it doesn't change halfway through a race. Dude, you guys should see the footage of me running like 23 hours into Sweden. I was still going like 620 pace on like the flat stuff and just like looking totally fine. But then yeah. like, obviously I didn't catch anyone. And I did, well, I kept trying to catch Sebastian, but like, wasn't like making up times like the other guys were doing making up time elsewhere but like yeah i can still move when i'm fucked up we should we should talk about your your true coming out party in sport <laughs> in sport aaron tahoe man like i don't think we can you know finish this podcast for sure without talking about your performance there um to a lot of people they were like what on earth i mean you were running in second place looking strong what you did on monkey twister monkey really got people all jazzed up um you had one hell of a race dude uh just walk me through it like your thought going in did you know that was in there how do you feel about it and i want to know what's next too but like what what what's your take yeah how to i mean like historically uh, like i do really well in championship season like regardless of sports like i know how to taper really 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 well and i know how to like train hard up until like the last possible point and then taper like i'm just good at it and i know how to do it intuitively or years of practice and research uh i would say i used to research stuff a lot more than i do now <laughs> um, but yeah like kind of intuitively and like i can look back and be like that race was good i should do something similar to that taper um and like i'm good at just becoming like a total vegetable for like a week you know and just being like, well, I hope it works out. And then usually it works out, like especially during championship season. But usually it's just a function of like, I look like dog shit the rest of the year because I'm like training through basically everything until like I find a race that I'm like, hey, I want to like do well there. And so like that one, I kind of got lucky because people missed their spear who shouldn't have. And uh, it was really cold, which is helpful to me because like I ice climb like, I took my gloves off after the, or before the swim. I was like, geez, my hands are hot. Um, mm. And like, I ice climb a bunch and a lot of people were like, oh, like you only did well because it's cold. And it's like, motherfucker, I trained for the cold. So yes, I did well in the cold. <laughs> it's not just like an inherent thing. Like I don't just have like master veins in here. Like I get my hands frozen all the time. So yeah, I'm good at it. And like, usually my life depends on it. Like if I'm like climbing and I like, if I fall, I'm going to die. Then I just don't fall. Like, doesn't matter if my hands are frozen, but uh, yeah, I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I just trained really well for that race, but at the same time, like I had a pretty upwards trajectory. I did North American OCR championships and I got second and third. And then I did West Virginia and got fifth. And I was like uh, 2% behind Woodsy for that one. And mm. so like, I'm, I knew where I was heading and I was like pretty confident I could do well. Also Doza bet me a car that I couldn't come in the top five. So did he follow through? Yeah. It's right outside. What did he buy you? Oh no. He was giving me his old, old Ford escape. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. So you might've won the second biggest prize at Spartan outside of the first place prize. No. Cause seconds 15. Ford escape is right around there. 
No, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> so leading to Tahoe then, did you prioritize certain workouts to be good for that? Or did you keep what, doing what you were doing? Uh, yeah, I was guiding in Tahoe anyway, or I, I was that summer. And so uh, me and Nicole drove, or maybe I just drove out a month beforehand and basically just lived there and trained and like, Few people have trained in Tahoe more than I have uh, because I've like guided there um, and I'd already run Broken Arrow there. And so I just guessed what the course was going to, actually, I didn't even guess. I just, just like, it can either go this way or it can go this way. And so I'll just time trial up both these ways multiple times <clears throat> and like, I'll know the effort. I like won't have headphones in. I'll know exactly what my breathing's like. I'll know, like, I'll have like all these cues for like how fast I need to go. Like I didn't race with a watch, so. Um, I like that. And so like, I was, I'm used to that mountain and like, not like, I like to like be over prepared for these things. Like, especially that one, I was like, well, I want to do well. So I'm going to like go there and train on the course and blah, 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 blah. And like, it pays off. And like other people didn't do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say that I like prioritize speed because I was like a shitty downhill runner and it's a non-technical downhill. I was like, okay, well I have to go, 420 pace down this hill so i'll run 420 pace down this hill a bunch of times <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. do you think you got every ounce out of your body that day uh kind of i popped my gels in the barbed wire i had one gel the entire race and yeah like i, I just bonked going up the second climb so i think i could have caught robert when i came out of monkey twister i was 20 seconds behind robert when i came down the hill i was like a minute and a half or two minutes behind him so like actually when i got over the box Wait, so like you could have won right behind him maybe if i didn't bonk like i had one gel the entire time i didn't have any water or anything you just ripped them on the barbed wire yeah they're in like i have these like nice tights that have pockets in the back and i just like went through the barbed wire so fast that they just ripped you saw my jacket it was all fucked up yeah mm -hmm. yeah were those those scott's tights yeah dude those tights are so nice i've never known anyone else who had scott tights other than you yeah, I have a full Scott kit. That's because Sensman ran for Scott, and I got all the hand-me-down stuff. I had to sew those back together, though. So now <laughs> Tahoe's now no longer in play. You yeah. know, maybe maybe North American Championship, maybe the Middle East <laughs> flakes out or whatever happens, and we can't go back there. But let's assume that's not Worlds now. Are you as excited about Abu Dhabi and your odds there, or is that just not as exciting to you as cold and mountainous? I mean, obviously, I like cold and mountainous, but honestly, like cold and mountainous suits Atkins and Alvin as much, if not more, than me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do think I've got like more room to get better than they do um, in terms of like, like they've just been doing this for a long time and I haven't. And so, like, I can become a faster runner, I can become stronger, uh, I can do these things. And they've like kind of, already either like done them or decided they don't want to do them anymore um i mean atkins is still getting faster though so it's tough to say <laughs> yeah. uh, but no I, I i would be excited about abu dhabi like running on sand i've actually done more than pretty much anyone in the sport like i've lived in the mojave desert before and just run on the sand dunes so <laughs> that will be beneficial i've probably logged like 500 miles on sand wow do you is your is your plan to do like to keep pursuing what you like what we would expect you to pursue, pursue the series, do some trail racing, 
sort of thing, or do you have other ideas that we don't know about? Uh, I have some adventure races lined up, which uh, just you know keep keep knocking on the Atkins door, obviously. Uh, mm. But he's gonna live his life as long as you can. Yeah. Until <laughs> you either just take over his income or it fails. Yeah. Just. Ugh. But uh, no, I've got some like mountaineering things I would like to do. That's actually kind of why I got into like trail running and stuff is I was like, it's so hard to become like a good mountaineer who's like sponsored and whatnot. So the best avenue for me was to like obstacle course racing, like get sponsors on board that way and then be like, hey, want to send me to the Himalayas? <laughs> In theory, you should be a great mountaineer. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm like a very good rock climber and a very good ice, well, decent ice climber and like have more fitness than anyone who's gone to the Himalayas. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'd like to go to the big mountains. But uh, yeah, as far as this year goes, adventure race, um, 100 mile or that I fucked up last year, I'm going to do that again. You're going to go back to win it? Yeah, I want to go run it like way faster than anybody else. Like way, like I was on track for like an 18 hour 100 miler that day for like 40 miles and then just like I blacked out and like laid in the snow for a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in the snow. Was, was it runnable compact snow or was it deep snow? They run a piston bully over it. But by oh, the time cool. I got to the end, like I was so far back that they just like stopped piston bullying it and I was in like knee deep drifts the whole time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll do those and then a ton of FKTs I'd like to do. Oh, you don't like FKTs? I don't like where they're headed. I don't like the fact that there was like a hundred cool ones in the U S and now there's 4,000, you know, it's just been like watered down by like people being like, I went for a walk yesterday. That'd be a cool FKT. And it's like, dude, you didn't like, it'd be one thing if they tried really hard, I'd be like, cool, that's cool. Like I can respect that. If you think that's a cool route, good for you. But instead they're like, ah, I went for a walk. Let's call it an FKT. Cause I did the fastest time that's ever been on Strava. And it's like, motherfucker. Like, why? why don't you get a, a FKT purification group together where you guys go through and take out every soft one and make it strong? Ooh. That's kind of what I've been doing in the Adirondacks is I just uh, find people who bother me and then I just go take the test. <laughs> <laughs> so you just do a lot of really long tempos. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, ton of FKT stuff, a bunch of like weird ones like biking, uh, like some ice climbing ones with biking in between and... They're not really like FKTs. They're more like just like long days out. They look like fun. Yeah. I'll try really hard. I have a personal curiosity. I always wonder, because you're always out adventuring and you're never working, it seems, ever. Wow. Like, how, like do you do you have a side hustle? Are you making your money like totally as like kind of a an athlete? Like, what do you, how are you, how are you getting by? I'm, I'm curious, actually. Uh, how, do I, how do I achieve that lifestyle? So I get accused of like couch people on the Instagram of being like, well, yeah, I could do that too if like, Spartan paid my way to blah, blah, blah. That's like Spartans paid my way to exactly Jacksonville. That's it. Yeah. One time. That's it. Yeah. That's all the money I've gotten from Spartan. Uh, <clears throat> like they didn't even pay for me to go to Spartan games. Didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, I've made it all from like prize money or sponsors. And even like sponsors I make. Last year, uh, I made $1,500 maybe. V VJ paid for my trip to Europe or, or, or like the flights. That's about it. Um, and then this year I'll probably make $14,000 maybe. Yeah. You need to race again. I mean, I assume this one, like this has hit you pretty hard, like 2020, like 
did not bode well for your plan. Yeah, I mean, I need to race for prize money more. Yeah. And like, there needs to be more races with hard obstacles. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> current trajectory of like, oh, let's just put more barbed wire and walls in. Or like, let's just take it all out and just make it off trail running. And like, obviously I'm not gonna do well, but like with the RWC, I was like sick with like the flu and I got sixth. I was like, okay. Bracken, you can speak to this, but isn't it, is it stressful, man? Like having to, in a year when there wasn't much racing or like knowing like your paycheck revolves around performance, like do you let that weigh on you at all or can you brush it off? Cause I would have a hard time with that. I know I would, if I didn't have like my business, I would struggle, I think with that. That would change it for me. Would change it for you? You're talking me or Aaron? Well, I'm talking, I'm talking to Aaron first. I know Bracken, like you, you earned your living as an athlete, but like for me, I just know that would change the dynamics for me. It would put a lot of stress on me. Yeah, so I've actually like, worked as like a climbing guide for the past two summers in tahoe um and like i've worked at like a bunch of shoe stores and like lived in my car because rent's too expensive and built other people's vans because like they yeah for whatever reasons and like lived in the vans and traveled and so like try to keep the overhead really low because there's basically no money coming in and it's all going to travel like the people who accuse me of like having loads of like sponsor dollars, like it's not there. <laughs> like, it's not, not there. I I owe money. <laughs> it's a cop out too. There was there was a guy online. I don't know if you saw this. He posted that he had uh, just come off surgery, but because he had done so much lifting and cross training, he was able to hit his PR in the mile. He ran four oh seven on the track, Ooh. and he says yeah. Well, it was a GPS mile on the track, which means you're at least fifty meters short, maybe a hundred. And then he said, well, that's people, some people called him out and he's like, well, I also have a 1352 time trial PR for a 5k. So like I, I took almost top 10 in a U.S. series race last year. So like, I'm going to be really big this year. And everyone's like, well, just post your GPS and, and let us see it. And, and he kept responding with excuses to things. They're like, with those times, like you should be able to, to probably win worlds. And he's like, well, you know, if I, if I just, if I didn't have a full-time job and a family, then totally. Dude. And I just like, man, that's such a cop-out. If you can't do it with it, you can't do it without it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you had more time on your hands. It doesn't change desire. Like yeah. the people who are willing to live in a van are the people who would be willing to work 60 hours and still train twice a day. Dude. Yeah. Like the time it hit like hardest to home was like, it like wasn't dating anyone was in St. George, uh, Utah, like basically like couldn't run because like my ankle and feet were too fucked up. And I was like in a car, just like freezing my ass off. It was like snowing and like a cop rolled up at like 2 a.m. And like I had parked like way up in the forest service land and they were like, you can't park here. And I was like, oh, like what am I doing? Like, why am I being such a fucking idiot? Like, <laughs> and, and then like, I'd go like pay $5, go to the community center there with like a bunch of old people and like ride the bikes for four hours and just stare at a wall. And like, yeah, but like now I'm like, cool. I'm like healthy again and I can do cool shit. And so like, it kind of makes it worth it. Uh, I, it makes it worth it now knowing that like, I like kind of did, like it right like i didn't compromise as mm -hmm. like like other people would have just been like okay i don't want it like this sucks and like it's not fun <laughs> and like it does suck and it's not fun but i don't know it kind of felt like a cop-out to be like okay well, i'm gonna go back to college rack up some debt and then just like get a job and go fucking die well and regardless of whether that's the right path for everyone or not it highlights the fact that no they couldn't do it 
Because if if you're not willing to go park in the forest land so that you can yeah. park and sleep in your car for free because you're on the grind, no, it doesn't matter if you suddenly had a sponsor. Like the drive is the drive. Yeah. And I'm I'm tired of people saying, Oh, these guys have it so good because they're sponsored. I could do that if I just had support. Well, there are like five people in on the planet who have it so good because of sponsors. Yeah. It's not it's not the golden ticket to prosperity that yeah. people think it is. And it's not a golden ticket to success by suddenly not having to work 40 hours. Yeah. Like, oh, I actually did just get a job though. I'm working at a coffee shop. Sweet. It's actually really fun. Uh, and I like it a lot. <laughs> it's part-time. It's like very part-time. Are you an avid coffee drinker, I assume, being an endurance athlete? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So you, you put it together, but you've been fighting the traditional life trajectory, get a job and live in a box and do what you're supposed to life your whole life. Like it wouldn't be being true to yourself to do that. Yeah. Kind of like I can definitely like, I think my dad's a piece of shit and he like definitely ruined most of my childhood. But like, I think if he wasn't such a piece of shit, I wouldn't have like been like, Oh fuck these people. Like fuck you for saying that like, I fucking suck. And then like, fuck you for saying I should like go get a job and do something with my life. <laughs> and then like, like the, it gave me the ability to tell a bunch of people like fuck off in my head. Uh, so I can appreciate that. And that's where it all comes back to center, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. And like people think I like harp too much on it and like think too much about it. And like, it really doesn't cross my mind until like these conversations come up. But like, the, uh, he like doesn't exist to me anymore as a human it just like as like an idea and like a past thing that happened like really doesn't bother me but yeah it makes us make sense of Aaron Newell to be honest with you I guess so yeah it, it does it really does it's been it's, that's insightful I have as I'm looking at the clock and I have to get to friggin' work myself um yeah yeah no um I, I have one question just one little question for you laughter and i don't know what you got bracken but do you have anything to say to the people out there man the ones who you've gotten some recent hate from or the ones who think they know everything or know you or like if you just want to like give a message to the damn people like you know throw them the bird or tell them what uh, do you have anything to say like you'd want to say to anybody no, no i just like genuinely don't care <laughs> like might be the most powerful thing to say like yeah like I, i've just like decided to like not even remotely try to win internet battles at this point. It's like, like pe people, people are deciding what they like. It's already decided. Like if somebody comments, like you're a piece of shit and like Hunter's the greatest person ever. And I'm like, well, he's said multiple times that he like did a bunch of Coke and like did all these other things. And that if peds were legal, he'd take them. And that if he didn't have to race, he'd take peds. Like it's not going to change their mind about him. They're not going to all of a sudden be like, Oh, maybe Hunter is on drugs. Like, I don't know for sure if he's on drugs but like like i'm not gonna change their mind but yeah i i digress uh like doesn't fucking matter like i i don't care what you write on my things it doesn't matter to me i'm just gonna like keep trucking down whatever i'm doing and you believe that though it doesn't it doesn't like you know lay in bed at night and you're like ah. i mean it like bothers me i'm like why does this person like really hate me but like it it, it doesn't it's not like oh, I should change my ways because this guy was an asshole. Which, like, it's kind of why the Troll King is dead because I feel like, like, I'm not going to change Robert Killian by, like, making fun of him. I'm not going to make him a more fun, entertaining person. Like, he is what he is. Uh, That's a mature statement, Aaron. Like, yeah. I'm not going to change someone by making fun of him. Yeah. And so it, it, like, kind of came to a head at the Spartan Games because I was like, Ryan Kent fucking sucks. I don't like him that much. And blah, 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 blah. And, like, ugh. 
And then we like hung out with him and then like, (laughs) I can't even tell you what happened. It's hard not to like the guy once you spend time with him. Yeah. So, and then like I spent time with him and I was like, he's not that bad, but like, fuck that guy. And then we like hung out and I was like, yeah, he's pretty good. And then he like did some shit at the Spartan games that I just thought was hilarious. And uh, yeah, now we're like, I don't say that we're like best friends or anything, but like I sent him a message the other day that was like, hey man, I like really appreciated like that we got to hang out. And it was like, nice to see that like you're a real human and that like maybe I shouldn't like make fun of people all the time. Uh, I'm telling you that statement I said in the beginning, like I do not like that man. I must get to know him better. Rings true for almost every person you do not like. It comes from your own ignorance, not theirs. And so getting to know people is super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. But then I got to know Hunter and I liked him even less. So there's that. No, but and here's the thing. I can get that. And yet I really, I see sides of him that like he was the first, he's the first non-family member to call me after the birth of every one of our children to see how Lisa was doing. (laughs) Would you expect that out of Hunter? Oh no. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like 11 PM suddenly, Hey man, I saw your daughter's born. Congrats. I'm so happy for you. Like that's, that's not the sheriff. Yeah. exactly. I'm not, I'm not (laughs) going to get on and defend anyone who doesn't deserve it. But at the same time, man, they're everyone in our sport. The more you get almost everyone. The more you get to know them, the more you realize there's a real person inside of them that it's either media portrayal or their own little persona they have to throw on covers the best part of them. Dude, the cheesiest thing I've seen recently and also like the best thing, have you guys seen the, the series Ted Lasso? No. Or Lasso no. or something like that? Uh, I'd like to. It, you, you should watch it. It's on Apple TV though, which is really annoying. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it's about this, whatever. It doesn't matter what it's about. He's like a very happy guy and like really good. So like, obviously I didn't like him at first, but then he said, be curious, not judgmental. And I was like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. I'm like, you should like ask people questions instead of being like, fuck that guy. But I'll still probably say fuck that guy. Well, it's a whole <laughs> new era this year, huh? I don't know if it's a whole new era, but he's slightly different. He, he's slightly, he just cares less and yet cares more. I'll be very curious to see this play out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's totally going to come back and they're going to be like, where's the nice Aaron? Uh, I mean, everything's everything's a roller coaster yeah. as long as we keep trending up. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for opening up, man. This this is a fun chat. Yeah. Even if you were, even if you weren't totally forthcoming about your training, I wanted to jump into more training. We still have a little bit of guardrail up. Like I do actually have like a training plan that I like look at and I make for myself because I actually know pretty much what I'm doing despite but other people think. Oh, I know. I, I was hoping to shed more light. So I guess it's too long now. I guess we're going to have to talk purely training one day. Sure. Yeah. I know how to drill, baby. Drill. Well, appreciate your time, dude. This is a long one. Uh, thanks for chatting, man. Yeah. Thanks for letting me show up an hour late. <laughs> <laughs> Always. FedEx is here. I think my skis are here. Ooh. Well, that's our cue. <laughs>